G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We're moving on to numbers as we journey through the Bible in Pastor Jeff's series, The Story. It's a look at major narratives in the Bible. Today, Pastor Jeff explores the book of Numbers. So we'll be in Numbers chapter 11, looking at a study on Moses and the Israelites. You can find this series and many more messages wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. But now, let's hop into this message with Pastor Jeff. All right, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. Grab your Bibles and turn over to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 as we continue our series called The Story where we investigate the major narratives of the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Now, before we get started here, just quickly, uh, there's been a lot of celebration in the Vines household over the last few days because my son, who's been dating uh, his girlfriend, Jessica, for about two years, proposed this past weekend. So my family, uh, my family is expanding. And uh, so he took her to the place actually where he had asked her to actually start dating and took her back to that place, blindfolded her. I mean, he planned the whole day out. He's such a romanticist. Didn't get that from me. He drove her all the way. To, he drove her on Pacific Highway. They went down. I don't know where, how far they went, but he just had the whole day planned out. It ended right here. And he got down on one knee, gave her the ring. I did see the ring. I said, son, it's not right that her ring's more expensive than the one I gave your mother. That's not the way to stand up for your father. And so... So he brought her back and about 40, 50, maybe 60 people in my backyard. And they took some more photos of uh, Delaney. This is my son, unless you did, if you did not know him. But anyway, here we go. I did have the talk with him though. Now I said, Hey, you need to understand something. Uh, you've left single life now. All right. You've made a commitment. You're engaged and uh, you're not single anymore, but neither are you married yet. You're in what we call the land in between <laughs> and the land in between you behave yourself. Uh, these are still waters that don't belong to you. You be faithful because how you treat her now is just a little foreshadowing of how you're going to treat her after the marriage. You're faithful to her now. You've made a promise to her. You keep your word. And he said, okay, I got it, dad. I got it. I got it. I got it. 
And so I, I started thinking about that. And that's important. Engagement is important. And I started thinking about that and what I wanted to do this weekend with this text in Numbers 11. And I want to just say right off the top uh, that I'm greatly indebted to uh, a writer, author by the name of Jeff Mannion, who wrote a book called The Land Between. It is a fabulous book. I reread it this past week. Great message, a great story. I really encourage you to get it. We don't have it in our bookstore, so this is not a commercial, uh, but you, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon anywhere. It's a great book. And I want to take you through something because I want to, I want this weekend, I want you to take a deep breath. I'm serious. Let's take a deep breath together on the count of three. One, two, three. Just relax now because I want to stop for a moment dispensing all this information and I want to take a time out and I want to look at something very closely. And if you'll let me, over the next few minutes, you will leave differently than you were when you came, when you first came in. You, there, there will be a difference because here's what, here's what's happening. Children of Israel are coming out of the land of slavery and bondage, and they're going over to the land of Canaan, the promised land, which is uh, modern-day Palestine. So here's how it works. Notice this area here is very what? What, what color is it? Green. You know why it's green? Because it's fertile. Man, there's melons and leeks and garlic. I mean, there's everything. Everything grew around the Nile Delta. It was just incredible productivity. So even though that they were in slavery, they were in slavery in a very fertile land. Everything grew. I mean, like hair on a chia pet. Remember those chia pets? Just grows. Everything grows right here. Now, notice over in Canaan, this is also what color? And you know why? Because it's a, it's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. So you've got fertile, fertile, milk and honey, all kinds of nice things to eat, all kinds of productivity, just amazing, productive, fertile place. Uh, then you got this. Uh, what color is this? You know why it's brown? It's not fertile. As a matter of fact, God says, I want to take the people, my people, from bondage in Egypt over to the promised land. And he chooses Moses to do it. And Moses tells him right away, I don't want the job. And he's reminding God all throughout this story, I don't really want this job, but you chose me. I took it, but I don't really like it. And in Exodus chapter three, verse seven, the Lord says, I've seen your misery. And then in verse eight, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Notice how he says it. Great story to bring them up out of that land. Okay. Out of that land, out of this land and into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. So I'm going to take you out of here and into here, but there's no space in between. So when they hear that, they think, okay, he's going to take us out of and into, it should take a couple of days, but they stay there for a long time, don't they? How, how long? Can you say 40 years? Why? This is the land in between. It's where God called you from and where he's taking you to, but you're stuck here. Another word for the land in between is the desert, the wilderness, the dry and dusty land, no man's land. Between a rock and a hard place, the brown space. Let me, let me try to help you here. Here's what the land in between is. You college students, you got your diploma, you worked so hard, you went to APU, Mount Sac, Laverne, wherever, and you marched across the stage and you threw up the hats, you know, and you're celebrating, you have graduated, you got your degree, and it's been four years since you got your degree and you're still working at Starbucks. <laughs> That's the land in between. Because you were working at Starbucks before you went to college. Not that Starbucks is bad, it's just like you hoped that your degree would land something else. There's language that we use for the land in between. Popular phrases, and the most popular is, for now. For now, I'm living in my mother's basement. 
For now, I'm working at a clothing store. For now, I'm living out of the back of my truck. That's language of the land between, but it's not only for college students, it's for everybody. I think of a single mother. She's overwhelmed. She's overworked. She's trying to make ends meet. She's working two jobs. She's doing all the cooking, all the cleaning. She's doing it all. And she just gets on her knees one night and she prays, God, I've been here for so long. When do I get to go here? I don't think I can take much more of this. I'm tired and I'm weary. And she begs God, please take me out of the land in between. I think of the mom and dad who walk by the living room and they grab a a picture off the mantle and it's a 10-year-old boy. And they look at this 10-year-old boy and they think, man, what happened? You know, he's so cute and so pleasant. We used to take family vacations together. We used to go walks on the beach together. We used to go on river walks together. He's so pleasant, so kind. But six years have gone by and now he's 16. And suddenly he's distant He's defiant, even decadent. They go to bed at night and they don't even know where he is now. What happened? His drug habit's killing him and everybody else around him. And they pray, oh God, you know, please take us out of here and bring our son back to us. Now, now for Israel, they had a problem. They're here. They've left Egypt already, gone through the Red Sea experience. The problem out here is that there's no Carl's Jr. or McDonald's or no drive through And they got to eat. And so they cry out to God. Actually, they complain to God. And God sends what? Manna. Do you know what manna means? Manna is a Hebrew word. Do you know what it means? What is it? That's what it means. It means what is it? So God sends this stuff out of the sky. Seriously. They gathered up like a mush with, uh, with kind of like a, a mortal and pestle. Grind it in. And they eat it three times a day. I mean, food is good, a steak is good, but you don't want the same thing every day for like weeks and weeks and months and months, right? So they gather this stuff up called what is it? They don't even name it. What is it? Let's have some what is it. Pass the what is it. And they have the what is it of the yazoo. And they keep eating it day after day after day after. Keith Green wrote a song, and I don't know if you know this, but my generation brought contemporary Christian music. And there's a guy named Keith Green who did an album called So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Back in the old days. Everybody in the college dorms would play this. They loved this because it was so real. And he did a song about how they would have complained in Israel during the days of manna. And he wrote words like manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna patties, and my personal favorite, banana bread. (laughs) And so they have it every day, three times a day for snack and everything. So they finally complain and a riot breaks out. And here's what happens. I'm in Numbers 11, verse four. The Bible says the rabble, important words that you'll seldom see scholars deal with. Well, not scholars, but preachers anyway. That's an interesting word. It's only used one time in the Old Testament. And it's a word for mixed company. Evidently, when the Israelites left Egypt, they weren't the only ones to leave. There were other nations that wanted to get out of Egypt as well, who were also in bondage. They kind of infiltrated the Israelite camp and went with them in hopes they'd get to the promised land. It's this rabble. Rabble's a poor interpretation. The NASB or the New King James does a much better job. The mixed company with them began to crave other food. They said, your God's given us manna. We want something else. This manna's old. And again, the Israelites started wailing. Now the Israelites... They listened, other than Moses or God, listened to those who had infiltrated the camp. And the Bible says they started wailing. It's another great Hebrew word. When you wail, in Hebrew, you got to use your nasal passages. In other words, it'd go like this. They wailed and they said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. You ever met anybody like that? 
And what do you mean no cost? It cost them, it cost them their lives. We go on. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this, what is it? We don't see anybody, what is it? And they complain. Jeff Mannion, again, says, you might think that not much would grow in this land. Oh, but it's fertile soil. It's fertile soil for complaint. When you're at this stage of your life, in this wilderness, the problem is you have to guard your heart real close because there will be the temptation to abandon God because you think he's abandoned you. Even though the holies of holy, right there, even though the Ark of the Covenant, right there, there will be a temptation to think God's left you and you'll leave him. See, it wasn't so much they were complaining about the cafeteria food. God, I think, could handle that. It was they were saying we were better off without you. We would rather still be in slavery. God, we want to live our lives as though you did not exist, and God is not happy with that. You have to guard your heart when you're in the land between. Now, let's turn the camera away from the Israelites onto Moses. Now, Moses, he's going to be really good here, isn't he? I mean, this is Moses. This is his forte. He thrives. He's a pastor of God's flock. He's a shepherd. This is where he does his best work. He thrives in the wilderness. He's a pastor of people, right? Right? No. No. Here's what he says to God. It's quite humorous. He says, God, and he is going to speak any moment now. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Why? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me that I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Are they my children? And he goes on. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their ancestors? He's so frustrated. He's so weary of dealing with his people. So he goes to a child care imagery and he says, God, excuse me. Did I go into the delivery room and give birth to these people? No, I did not. These are not my people. In Egypt, you said, let my people go. Now you're saying our people. I don't want these people. And I don't want to carry them across this desert. They're stubborn. They're stiff-necked. They're hard-headed. It's too heavy, God. It's too heavy to bear. I can't do it. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And the land in between, it is fertile for complaint. And you know what? It's also fertile for meltdown. Because Moses says in the next verse, verse 15, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Don't you? God, kill me, kill me dead. Kill me right now. It's kind of like Woody Allen. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Moses is saying, I know where this is going to end. They're killing me slowly, God. You kill me quickly and get it over with. And then he goes on the next verse and he says, if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let my face what? Do not let me face rather my own ruin. He says, God, I know where this is going to go. I know what life is going to be like here. I know where it's going to end. God, I don't want to go through it. I don't want to go through it. Just kill me. Kill me now. Get it all over with. Now, whose voice do you hear? Let me tell you whose voice I hear when I read that. There's a gentleman that sits down about second row, first service every Sunday. Every Sunday he's here. And I hear his voice. His wife has a degenerative disease and slowly every day she slips further and further away. I see him try to hold it together. Almost every message he weeps, almost every one. He's trying to be positive for his daughter to tell her things are going to be okay, but he knows things probably aren't going to be okay. All the stress has put a stress on his job. 
His company was doing well. Now it's a struggle because he's trying to hold everything together. I guarantee you there are days when he says, God, kill me, kill me now. I don't want to go through this. It takes too long. Just put an end to it. I think of my friend who sits on the back row, close to the back on Saturday nights. All she wants is a child. That's all she wants. No money, no wealth, no fame. Just give me a child. Give me a child of my own that I can love. She has prayed that prayer for over 20 years. Lord, I just want a child, my own. Is that too much to ask? I want a child. And now it's almost too late. Unless God provides a miracle, she's too close to the age. And there are days, I promise you, and I know this, there are days she would say, God, if I can't have a child, life is not worth living. Just take me now. You say, well, that's kind of shallow. Hey, you got no idea what it's like, and neither do I, especially us men. When a woman wants a child of her own, and that's what she wants more than anything else, to no avail. I think of a couple that brought their daughter to me about four, I guess, I don't know how long it's been, over to the cafe. She was in a wheelchair, cutest little thing you've ever seen. And they told me that she had a, a degenerative disease, a disease that usually you only get when you're older. Man, they tried everything. We prayed and we cried and we anointed with oil with the elders. We did, we did everything. We, they did everything. They were so incredible with her. They moved to Seattle to try to find a doctor who could have the, the drugs that would cure, that hopefully through a transplant of some kind that she could be spared, she could be saved. Her parents fought and fought and fought and we prayed and we fought and she died. I promise you that if you could talk to them, especially the mother, she would tell you there a day she woke up and kill me, kill me now. I don't like it here. And I've been here far too long. I don't want to do this anymore. And I notice even in here, they kind of come and go. And I know why they come and go. They come and go because they're still struggling with God. Because in here, you do. Sometimes they wonder, why did you abandon us? Other times they know we can't make it without you. But they go back and forth as people do. And there are times I guarantee they would say, I wish God just kill me, kill me now. It's too heavy. The burden is too wearisome. You feel like somebody hooks up a hose to you and just starts to drain the life out of you month after month after month. I know as a pastor, I've got a pastor friend that called me not too long ago. So Pastor Jeff, my church is nothing like yours. I actually have, in your church, there's only good people. (laughs) He's obviously never visited this church. But in my church, I put out one fire and another one starts and another fire and I can't do it anymore. I don't want to be a minister anymore, Jeff. If you don't give me some words that would encourage me to stay, I'm gone. This is it. I'm at the last straw. My people won't trust me. I try to handle difficult situations. They never give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm out of here. And the elders, where do I start? He said, I'm too weary. This burden's too heavy to carry. I've lived here since I've been in ministry and I'm, I want to get out now. I'll even go back into slavery if I have to, but I'm not doing this. I know what that's like. Everybody does, right? Come on. I know when people ask to have a coffee with me and we sit down I can tell almost immediately, call it discernment or what, I can tell what's about to happen. Not always, but I can sense it when it does happen, there's about to be a breakup. They're about to tell me, pastor, I'm going to start dating other churches. (laughs) And really, pastor, really, it's not us, it's you. (laughs) 
And I know that I'll never find out the real reason because most people won't tell you because it's too petty. So they come up with something else and it's usually pointed toward me. And even though I'll remind them, you know, I told you when you came here, I wasn't perfect. Did you forget that? And so I say, you know what? I'm tired. I'm, I'm going back to coaching. I'm going to go back over here. I'm going to go back to putting up with high school basketball players. At least I can send them home or bench them. I can't send you home or bench you. I wouldn't anyway, as far as you know. This is the land in between. And this is the land where we'd like... The problem, the problem is that most of us have been prepared for some sense of disappointment, right? But few of us have been prepared for year after year after year of disappointment. And fewer still have been prepared to be a disappointment. And so when you enter the land in between, you know what happens? It sucks the life out of you slowly. Oh, if it would only do it quickly. But no, it's over week and week and month and month and year and year. Now, here's the question. How's God going to respond to Moses? Because Moses has had enough. He said, God, I can't do it anymore. These are not my people. They're your people. I didn't birth them. You've given me too big a burden to carry. And I'm hoping as I go through the story that God will actually deal gently with Moses because that'll tell me he'll deal gently with me. How does God deal with you when you're weary and you're tired? Just dangling by the thread. God speaks, Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. The thing about this part in your life, that it's fertile soil for complaint. It's fertile soil for that meltdown, but it's all so fertile soil for provision. He says, Moses, go look at those leaders in Israel that when you faced a crisis in the past, they didn't respond with just pure emotion, but they responded with wisdom and confidence in me. You find them and you bring them to the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Tabernacle wasn't so much where the people met, it's where God came down to meet with them. And he says, Moses, you bring them to my house. And when you bring them to my house, I'm gonna take this power that I put on you and I'm gonna put it on them. And they're gonna help you. And they're gonna share the burden. They're gonna share the load with you, man. It's not the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't come till Jesus comes in a sense to the Father. This is the anointing that only God can give and gives it to a select few in the Bible in the Old Testament. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create little mini Moseses. <laughs> 70 little mini me's. And they're going to go out and they're going to share. You, you say you can't carry the load anymore? Okay, here's God loving a man. They're going to share the burden of the people with you so that you'll not have to carry it alone. The land in between is fertile ground for God's provision. And what if that when you're here, if you guard your heart, notice the Israelites don't have a prayer meeting. You don't read, pray, Lord, we love the man. And we're very grateful because we, we realize we didn't do anything for it. It just came out of the sky. Could you add a little something to it? Maybe some meat from time to time, maybe a little garlic or some of the stuff we had back. You don't see that. All you see is a bunch of people complaining and sniping from the bushes. God, we were better off in Egypt without you. You give us this man and we don't even like it anymore. It was nice for a day. We don't even like, we're not even sure we want to live with you. We, we want to live life without you. Get lost, God. That's kind of what they're doing. But what if when you're in this season in wilderness, 
then instead of doing that grumbling and complaining that you came to God with open hands, God says, I'll fill it. I'll fill, I'll fill your hands. I'll provide. I know what this is like. My pastor friend called back, by the way, and said, Jeff, I was so wrong. I want to repent. I said, it's okay. Everybody goes through those seasons. You know, my elders have come alongside me. And I feel like Moses when they helped him with his arms and they crossed the Red Sea. My elders told me, don't worry. You're not going to fail because we're not going to let you fail. They're holding my arms. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Nine times in the Bible, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Nine other times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, which is it? Both. How? Once God saw that Pharaoh's heart was not going to change no matter what happened, God hardened it even further so that God could use him to accomplish his purpose. In this story, you have to put Numbers 11, verse 1, verse 4, three together and realize what God is doing. He is weeding out to create for himself a people set apart. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.